People are so desperate for hope these days. They're searching for it in philosophies, finances, and other dead ends. But the only true hope is a living hope. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to 1 Peter for a look at the living hope available in Christ. From encouraging words for discouraging times, here's David to introduce his message, God is your anchor in times like these. Well, you know what? An anchor is a very interesting thing to think about. You throw it in the water, it goes down and grabs hold of the the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of the sea and holds your ship in place. Uh, Biblical anchors don't go down, they go up. Someone once told me that your anchor is wrapped around the throne of God in heaven and you're at the other end of it and God's holding you strong. My anchor, my hope is in God. And uh, the, the hope that's involved in that is so incredible and it's Actually, one of the things we really need a lot of in these days, isn't it? We need hope. We're going to talk about hope in these next two days. I hope you'll be with us. In the meantime, if you'd like to have all the material for this whole series, which began back at the beginning of this new year, we have this book called Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World, 208 pages. It's filled with all the truth that we've been talking about. Every chapter ends with a prayer. Uh, There are wonderful uh, application questions in the book built right into the text. The book is beautiful. It is helpful. It is something you will put on your shelf. And when you face trouble, you go there and you'll find in this book are 10 chapters uh, outlining 10 of the most powerful promises for people of faith when they face difficult times. Don't let this book go unread Get your copy of it today. Here's what you do. Send a gift to Turning Point of any size and just say, please send me the January book and it'll be on its way to you. Here is God is your anchor in times like these from 1 Peter chapter 1. This is part one. The world today is reeling through a spectrum of disillusionment as we have Concentrated on the subject of hope, it has become apparent to all of us that there are an awful lot of people seeking for answers and there aren't very many people finding them. That the world really doesn't have an answer that can satisfy or in any way make sense to people. The good news is that we who know God and His Son Christ don't have to be left at the corner of hopelessness and despair. There is an answer, and he is Jesus. It's not trite. It's not theological. It's not church talk. It's truth. There is a writer of a New Testament book who understood this completely and wrote it down for us so that we would not be in doubt as to its reality. His name is Peter, and he wrote two epistles And the first one, and in the first chapter, he makes a very, very important statement about the nature of hope. Peter knew how important it was for him to dispense this hope to his readers because the people who were reading this little letter that he wrote were going through tremendous difficulty. They were basically Christian people who had been salted throughout the Roman Empire during a time when Rome was in its tyranny against believers. They were facing untold persecution and suffering. In fact, it is noteworthy 
to believe that in the little letter we call 1 Peter, he uses the word suffering 16 times. He talks about their suffering as suffering for righteousness' sake in chapter 3. In the fourth chapter, he describes it as a fiery trial. And there's probably some of you here today who are kind of in the middle of your own version of a fiery trial. Peter has a good word for us about how we're to face all of these things, and it's wrapped around the concept of hope. In fact, he uses that very word. He tells us that we can have hope if we will understand and believe the truth concerning the risen Christ. In the third verse of the first chapter, he says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, now listen to this, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter would have us believe in no uncertain language that the hope for which we seek and the hope that seems to elude us often if we don't carefully process biblical information, that that hope is to be found in a person and in a person who has overcome death. I've wondered as I've read these verses what was going through Peter's mind when he wrote them. I can't tell you because I'm not a mind reader, but if you'll allow me a little divine sanctified imagination, I can't help but think that when Peter wrote these words about the living hope in the resurrected Christ, perhaps his own personal experience had come back to him. Peter had been a very close friend of the Lord, had walked with him through most of his public ministry. Oh, that's true. He had some problems. He denied the Lord and had to go through the process of being recommissioned and that's why all of us like Peter so much. He gives us a sense of identity. We believe that, you know, if he could make it with the Lord, maybe we could too. But in the end, Peter loved the Lord, and he had hoped, as the two men on the road to Emmaus had so wonderfully verbalized, he had hoped that this Jesus was the one who would be their Messiah, who would come and free them from Roman bondage. Peter was like all the rest of those in the life of Jesus who had pinned their hopes on him. And then one day it started. The anger, the accusations, the mock trial, the beating, the crown of thorns, the cross, the journey up the hill, the spear, the nails, and the end. And everything Peter had believed in and everything he had hoped for was taken down off of that cross wrapped in linen and laid in a rock-hewn tomb. If we could have looked in on Peter's heart during the days that transpired between the death of Christ and his resurrection, I think we would have seen the epitome of hopelessness and despair because it is quite evident when you read the New Testament documents that Peter was not certain what was going on. And then one day the word started to filter through the friends that they had visited the tomb and when they looked inside it was empty. I would imagine they had some of the same thoughts that others have had since that time, that perhaps the body had been stolen, but Peter wanted to go and see for himself. 
And so he ran with John, and the scripture says he stooped and looked in, and he saw the garments by themselves, and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ began to filter through his being. And then, of course, there was the moment when he saw him for the first time and examined the nail prints in his hands and the place where the spear had gone into his side, and it was overwhelming to Peter to realize that this one whom he had seen die had gone into the grave and had been there for three days and on the third day of his own power had come up out of the stone and out of the grave and had been victorious over man's greatest enemy. He had come back from the dead. He was alive. He was the risen Lord. And Peter writes to his friends who were going through difficulty and he says, I want to tell you something. You have a living hope. And that hope is based upon what Jesus Christ did when he came out of the grave. You see, he defeated the greatest enemy that man faces. He by himself took victory over death. And he promises to those who will put their faith in him that they too shall overcome death. And so Peter says, if you're looking for hope, if you're trying to sort out the circumstances of your life, Hope is found in Jesus Christ. What do you say to a man who has laid to rest his wife of many years? What do you say to a woman who finds out that she has a disease that's going to take her life? Apart from some supernatural intervention that her days have been numbered. If all we ever have to say to one another in our hopelessness and disillusionment is terminal, temporal, earthly things, we are left without anything to hang on to. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. You see, that's the only kind of hope the world has to offer. It's hope that ends at the grave. But the kinds of problems that cause us despair and hopelessness are the kinds of problems that have a tendency not to end at the grave. The hurt of the mourning husband goes on after death. The pain of the daughter who loses her mother goes on after death. Where do we find hope for the kinds of problems that seem so prevalent in all of our lives? Peter says it's found in a person. It's found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because we pin our hope on him. He's the only one who ever did what he did. He came out of death alive, victorious over the grave. And his promise is, if you put your trust in me, as I live, you too shall live. No matter how dark the situation in our lives might become, our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ and in his power over death. And Paul told the Corinthian believers that if that were not true, then we don't have any faith and we're still in our sin and we are hopeless. The reality of all of this came home to me when I read an article written by somebody who is a friend. She's quite a well-known personality in the Christian world. Many of you have heard her short radio program, read her books, heard her singing. Uh, she is a woman who is not a stranger to tragedy and difficulty. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And I will never forget going out to eat with her, with our family, 
while my oldest daughter Jan had the privilege of feeding Johnny because she could not feed herself. And I read an experience that she tells about in an article she wrote for a Christian magazine about being in her office one day and turning to her secretary, Francie, and saying, Francie, you have to pull the daybed out again. To make a long story short, because her body is paralyzed and she can't feel pain, the only way she knows when something's wrong is she begins to get a temperature and her blood pressure goes up and she has an intuitive sensation that something's wrong and oftentimes it's because she has uh, punctured her body with something or she's rubbed against something and caused a bruise or a pain and so sometimes when that happens and she doesn't know what to do she has to have her secretary totally undress her and examine her body to see if there's anything that's happened because she has no sense of feeling she said she was in the midst of one of those things like that that happened three or four times a month and she remembered looking up to the ceiling and saying out loud God I resign from this paralysis I resign from this pain some of you have been there. And she said as Francie was leaving the office that day, she kind of left and then stuck her head back in the door and said, Johnny, I bet you'll be glad when the resurrection comes. Johnny said, all of a sudden, my eyes were filled with tears again as I began to realize that hope which was in my heart that someday, just as Jesus came back from the dead, he has promised that we too are going to come out of our graves and if he comes before we die, we're going to be caught up together to be with him. And then our bodies are going to be changed into the likeness of his resurrection body. And we will be perfect and whole and without pain and without paralysis and without hurt. And she said that hope began to revive my spirit. And she said where there was sadness, it wasn't long before there was a song. You see, this isn't just pie in the sky by and by this isn't just a blue sky hope that we paint out into the future that if we just believe hard enough things will get better no this is not hope so hope this is no so hope this is knowing a person who has done what no one else has ever done and by virtue of having done that has laid claim to our faith and who says to us listen now if I came out of the grave victorious over death and you put your trust in me, you can have that same victory, not only over death, but in your life day by day. How sure is our hope? Look down at your Bibles and notice what Peter says in verse 4. He says this hope is incorruptible, it's undefiled, doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Do you know what? As I read that verse, all I could think about was that those four things kind of attack all of the earthly hopes in which people place their faith. What's wrong with putting your faith in human things? Have you ever noticed how disappointing placing your faith in human things can be? I must confess to you that over my life, I have caught myself getting my hopes wrapped up a lot in various professional athletic teams. But when I was a student at Dallas Seminary, I got caught up in the Dallas Cowboys. I mean really caught up in them. I went to their Tuesday luncheons. I read every sports page about what was going on. I knew everything that was happening with every player. <laughs> Lived and died with their games. I, I remember a time when they were playing a very important playoff game and for some reason the stadium in Dallas wasn't sold out so the game was blacked out in the city. Believe it or not, my wife and I drove to Oklahoma and checked into a motel so we could watch their game. I mean, that's how committed I was. She'll tell you that's the truth. 
And in the early days of our family, when our children were real small and I got my turn to cradle the children, Donna finally made me quit holding them during the football game because I almost threw a couple of touchdowns with a couple of my kids. I mean, it was like that. All wrapped up. And, you know, I remember several years when I was just so wrapped up in them and followed them all the way through and they got right to the precipice of the ultimate. And then they lost. And I would be depressed. And you know what really struck me as strange? When they finally won, it still left me empty. Oh, I was glad. But what now? And it's kind of a little parable in my own life of how easy it is for us to get ourselves all wrapped up in the things that can never really truly reward us for having placed our hope in them. You know, I'm not for a moment suggesting that we shouldn't put our hope in one another and we shouldn't trust in one another and that our bonding together in family shouldn't be strong. But there is a hope that's even beyond that and more important than that, and that is a hope that we place in the eternal God through his son, Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. That hope won't die. That hope won't decay. That hope won't deteriorate. That hope cannot be destroyed. That hope is there for you in the person of Jesus Christ because he is eternal. If your hope is in him, your hope is eternal. That's why, men and women, there's such a difference in the way Christian people respond to life if they're walking with God. That's why we can handle the challenges that come our way and we may reel from the pressure But down inside, there is a quiet confidence that this too shall pass. And if it doesn't, it just gets better. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, that's all well and good. And I'm glad about the future. And that's going to be wonderful someday when we see the Lord and our hope is realized in a personal fellowship and relationship with him. But I have to face next week. I have to go back to that job that's terrorizing me. Back into that home situation, which has got me frantic back into the realization of this disease which we can't get control of. How is my relationship with Jesus Christ and my hope about the future and eternity with him going to make any difference in my life now? Well, just look at what Peter says in verse 5. He says, we who have our hope in Christ are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now watch carefully. Here is the interplay in this chapter. Peter, first of all, says that God has given us a hope that is secure. It's steadfast. It's not ever going to be touched. It's beyond decay, destruction. It can't anything happen to it. And then in the very next verse, he says, and oh, by the way, I am committed to keeping you on your way to the full realization of that hope. Here's the wonderful promise of the chapter. A hope that is secure for us in our personal relationship and eternal walk with God. And a day-by-day guarantee that in the process of our going to that ultimate realization of hope, he is going to keep us in the process. In fact, the word kept in the fifth verse, one of the strongest words in the New Testament, it means literally to be garrisoned about by an army. He says, here you are with your hope in Christ. 
You fixed your eyes upon him. You believe he came out of the grave. You've trusted him. And you believe that someday you too are going to live for eternity because you put your trust in him. But all the way along as you walk with him, he's promised to keep you and help you every day. It's no wonder that many have written about the relationship between our eternal hope and our day-by-day relationship with problems and difficulties. C.S. Lewis once said it this way. He said, if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither one. And that is a powerful truth. What he's saying is this. If you don't get heaven straight, you won't get there. But in the process of not getting there, you won't have anything worth living for down here. Because it's only as you get your anchor fixed in eternity that you begin to have some stability for life every day. Oh, you're going to have the same kinds of problems. You're going to have the same bumps along the way. But there's a difference. In fact, even the problems begin to make sense. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, even in this you greatly rejoice. Now watch how honest Peter is. You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire and may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like the Bible because it's so honest. You know, Peter isn't giving us some PMA stuff, positive mental attitude. He's not saying just get your hope up and everything's going to be all right. He's not saying if you put your trust in Christ, your problems will all go away. He says, put your hope in the Lord and get ready for some challenges. There are going to be manifest trials in your life that will buffet you. But even in the process of the trials, God has a purpose. A Scottish theologian by the name of Samuel Rutherford explains the purpose of these problems we face in the midst of our life of hope. Listen carefully. The language may be Old English, but the truth is very important. Here's what he said. If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world, and then had told me that he should begin by crippling me in arm or limb or removing me from all my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, wrote Rutherford, how is his wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a dark room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all of his lamps and then throw open the shutters to let in the light of heaven. Johnny Erickson read those words by Samuel Rutherford and added her postscript, and this is what she said. That's exactly what God did for me. When he sent a broken neck my way, he blew out the lamps in my life that lit up my here and now so captivatingly. And the dark despair of my paralysis wasn't much fun, but it sure made those resurrection promises come alive. And one day when Jesus comes back, probably when I'm in the middle of lying on my office sofa for the umpteenth time, God will throw open heaven's shutters. I have no doubt I'll be more ready for it then than I would have been if I were on my feet. 
Well, there you have it. God's anchor in times like these. We will finish out the month tomorrow with part two of this message. And uh, then we'll be going to something brand new in the month of February. But I say that because we offer a very special resource every month that goes along with the series we're teaching to give you added value and help you grab a hold of truth in a very special way. During this month, our special book is something that I wrote called Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World, 10 Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. We've gone through all 10 of these, and all 10 of these messages are in written form, in chapter form, in this 208-page gift book. And this book is available to you for a gift of any size to Turning Point, either today or tomorrow, and then it goes away. So don't wait any longer. Get your gift in the mail. Get your request in the mail. And this book will be in your home before you know it. Thanks for listening, friend. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. 10 Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude encouraging words for discouraging times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Here are a couple of observations about television, the implications of which are self-evident. The British talk show host David Frost said, Television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room 
by people you would never invite into your home. The lessons are obvious, especially with regard to our children. Watching television is an invitation to be influenced by whatever we see. And as stewards of the grace of God, we need to choose our influences wisely and turn off the unhealthy ones. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's influence on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.